0: Miller for three. Ow! Oh, he backed it in! He backed it in! And the game is tied. We're going to overtime. Warren lets it fly. Yes! TJ Warren is not human. Ranger catches, shoots for three to win it. He hits it. To go. Brogdon for three. Let Got it! Go. O'Neill drives on Yao. puts it in. Duarte for three. Boom, baby! Anthony <laughs> oh, Denies him at the rim. Harris LeVert, people don't realize how good he really is. LeVert, skies high for the jam. Stevenson, LeBert. passes into Savonis for the basket. Jackson turns, fires, and hits. Oh, Miles oh, oh,
1: Turner, oh. bringing that smoke. He flips it to the big fella, fake shoots, and hits. This is T.J. McConnell,
0: and you're listening to Setting the Pace.
2: Welcome back, everybody, to another episode of Setting the Pace. I'm your host, Alex Golden. I'm joined today, once again, by the one and only Michael J. Focci. Focci, how's it going, brother?
3: Man, I mean, life's going good, but when you, when you talk about things on the court, it's anything but. I mean, Alex, we talked about this. This stretch, six straight at home, it was supposed to be like a pivotal turning point for the Pacers. Instead, now we're talking about four straight losses and three straight at home. I mean, we lost Justin Holiday for about 10 days. TJ McConnell, I don't know when he's coming back. And just when you think you have a wounded Miami Heat team, they stepped on our throats. They're up as many as 20. They get the win, 113 to 104. You were in the building. Tell us about that experience.
2: Yeah, so it was good to be back in Bank or excuse me, GameBridge Fieldhouse yep, for the first yep. time in a couple of years. I um, I will say this: I was a little bit disappointed as I was walking through the arena to get to my seat. So many Miami Heat jerseys in the building, and a lot of Tyler Hero fans. I mean, when Hero was hitting shots, I heard almost more cheers for Hero than sometimes I heard for the Pacers on some of the moves that they made or the highlights that they had with like a Sabonis dunk or, you know, whatever, like a three-point shot. Like you'd hear more excitement sometimes from fans for Tyler And I was just like, okay, uh, this is what we've come to at this point for the Pacers. But, you know, just a weird thing. I mean, all of a sudden you're listening to starting lineups and Sabonis is not announced. Torrey Craig is the fifth starter announced, and you're kind of like, what, Torrey Craig? <laughs> and all of a sudden you don't see Sabonis anywhere. There's rumors that Cat had just been pulled from the game against whoever they were playing Minnesota was because of COVID stuff. So you're thinking it's got to be COVID-related or like, wait a second, did the Pacers just pull like a blockbuster trade-and-trade trade Domas? Like, I, there was so much going on. Like, people were just speculating, like, where is Sabona at? And then finally he comes out there with about eight minutes left in the first quarter, and Torrey Craig never saw the floor again. So I just think overall, you know, it, it was a pretty bad performance from the Pacers. They have no idea how to beat Miami's zone. The zone just absolutely crushed them. Um, I saw a lot of Pacer fans that are able to get sports um, through Bally Sports Network, and the Pacers games were unable to watch for like the first half pretty much because of the network issues. So, felt really bad for those people watching the game there, um, on their TV, but you weren't missing much. The Pacers just looked once again like a team stuck in the mud. And, and you said it, Fachi. no Bam, no Jimmy Butler. Carlisle was 45 minutes late to the press conference because he was watching film with the team immediately after the Hawks lost. Then they come out flat once again. I just don't know what to say about this team anymore.
3: It's this, honestly, this was sad, but this was a major breaking point for a lot of fans. Yeah. Because I felt like this was the final time where a lot of people, you saw it all throughout Twitter, really threw in the towel and just said, that's it, blow it up, man. This team stinks, they can't play together. Whatever it is, however you want to word it, I mean, this was a a very crushing defeat. I mean, Miami came out. You mentioned the zone defense. I mean, the Pacers couldn't beat it. But Miami just, they were firing three-pointers all Mm -hmm. night long. I mean, seven threes in the first quarter. Uh, They never really looked back. The the lead got as high as as, uh, 20 at least. Or, you know, I know it was 20 points in the fourth quarter. And and it just, Pacers try to make a little bit of a run. You look at the final score. Oh, we only lost by nine, but that's not the case. I mean, the Pacers were never really in that game. Um the heat just they led all the way. I mean, Kyle Lowry just all of a sudden turns back the clock, looks great. And it was just classic. I mean, he had a season high performance, I think it was 26 points in the game. And what was rough is we wasted a Levert performance. 27 points. It was his season high. I mean, it it seemed like we've been dying for one of those, but this team, they just can't get on the same same schedule. And you know, it's just it was upsetting. Uh it's it kind of feels like a where do you really go from here? Because the quotes. I mean, the Pacers, they keep saying the same things. We need to look in the mirror. We need to wake up. We need to hit them first. We need to come out confident. Everyone's saying it, but it's just been all talk because they haven't been able to translate it on the court. Yeah, I think Miles Turner had a good quote.
2: I'm forgetting exactly what he said, but basically he was like, if we're going to be stuck in mediocrity, like, we got to do something. We can't just be yeah. tough out. And he said, we got to go out there and show it because, you know, they keep saying the same stuff over and over, but they're not changing anything. That's why I was like, okay – Great opportunity here. No butler, no bam. It seems like Carlisle was really fed up with the way the team had been playing with Force. Like that's all he kept hammering on all press conference long. We gotta hit him with force. Force, force, force. It's like the Pacers play with zero force in that None. first. They didn't play with force till the fourth quarter. And that's what Carlisle said. I liked what I saw in the fourth quarter. They had two days off after that game. So Saturday and Sunday looked like they had a pretty intense practice on Sunday afternoon, but I mean. At this point, I just don't trust it. Let me see it on the court because right now, just so many problems. And you said that we had a Lavert game, but still, at the same time, Lavert was a, once again a ball stopper. My, Malcolm Brogdon was awful in this game. Uh, really, really struggled to get going. And I would just say this about Lavert: like th- he hit a lot of shots, like as the clock was running down, but it was not like he was getting in some groove and and, and just you know slicing and dicing. He wasn't doing that kind of thing. You know, they, they got the ball to the middle a couple of times and they swarmed Sabonis and Sabonis would find the open guy and would get good looks then. But that was about the only time when they, bought, when they got the ball in the middle, two Domas or even to Miles at some points, we broke the zone down. But we couldn't do it. They extended that zone, that 2-3 zone, quite a bit. That sometimes it almost looked like a 1-3-1 one, one when they were shifting a little bit. And it was like, okay. But, yeah, it's just it's just one of those things, Fachi, where I just look at this team. <laughs> I really don't know what, what we can expect from them going forward injuries aside to holiday and McConnell this team for the last year and a half without TJ Warren they have just been so miserable they're they're just not a good team
3: without TJ Warren and, and you you bring that up but man I mentioned this game was a breaking point but then hearing that TJ Warren isn't going to return in December he's not even going to get another evaluation for for a while it, it's looking like January at the earliest that was another tough pill to swallow because it made it seem like, you know, like, oh, man, like it, it, what what's going on with Warren? Is he even going to play this year? And it's like, yes, we expect to see him this year. But that's how it feels like. It feels like all of a sudden by the time he plays it, and it sounds I don't even know if it sounds rough because it's all business. But it's like, is he even going to be able to play enough to potentially be traded? You know, because that's what we're looking at right now of like, man, he might be rusty enough to the point where has zero value at the deadline to be traded. And at that point, it's tough because the man's entering a contract year and we have no idea what to pay him. Couldn't even put a price tag on him because it's been that long since we've seen him. It will have been over one calendar year since we've seen TJ Warren, and it was over one calendar year since we saw Victor Oladipo at one point. We're talking about major pieces of the team that we're going a full year without even seeing, and then all of a sudden they come back, and, you know, I mean, you can't blame us for having our guard up and being worried that Warren might not be the same player.
2: Yeah. No, I mean, there's a lot of, like – just pump the brakes on what you expect from Warren because it's not going to be great at first. So I don't think he'll have any value with the trade deadline. You just hope that maybe by the time playoffs comes, he looks like his old self, but I'm not even saying we'll be in the playoff hunt at that point. But if he can at least look like himself, that gives you an idea of whether or not you want to keep him for the off season. But Boccia, we got, 28 questions plus some of these are like a five part question type thing. So we've got a lot of questions. We're going to break this up into a two part mailbag podcast. So let's take a quick break. We'll come back and get right into it with our mailbag questions.
0: We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors. According to Indeed data
2: All right, our first mailback question comes from underscore Lottie Dottie underscore on Instagram. He said, hey guys, I saw a trade ID on ESPN of Demontis Sabonis for Jonathan Kaminga, James Wiseman, and Moses Moody. What do you guys think about this trade? Carlisle might not want to go younger, but he's here for four years. I can't imagine him being here for four years of mediocrity, and I don't see us becoming a real contender with this roster. We need to start developing our own talent like Duarte Kaminga Moody and Wiseman would be the perfect start.
3: I mean, I would just say it's hard to, to say that you don't like this trade. I look, Alex, you and I, we love us on Sabonis. But if you're talking Kuminga, Wiseman, and Moody, three lottery picks, two of them, you know, two of them being top seven picks. Wiseman's second overall pick, who I believe has a ton of talent that he's not gotten a show due to injuries. Um, at that point, that would give the Pacers a lot of pieces to rebuild around. But, yeah, you didn't make Carlisle one of the top paid coaches in the league for a rebuild. Right. But at the same point, I don't see this team being a contender with this roster. I don't think anyone does. Um, So, you know, you could try and tell yourself, hey, no, 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 we just need to get T.J. Warren back. But at this point, I think you're lying to yourself. I mean, the Pacers are in trouble here. And if there was an offer like this, which I don't think there is, uh, it would be hard to deny
2: Yeah, I think ESPN threw the idea out there, basically just trying to get Domas on the Warriors yeah. and saying, Oh, this is what it will take. If they if they gave this trade to the Pacers and I'm the Pacers and I turned it down, I'd be livid if I'm a Pacers fan. I mean, the the potential of Jonathan Kaminga is probably higher than you know what Sabonis is right now. So I, I think that he's probably the guy with the highest upside. Wiseman, I'm not like incredibly in love with. I think he's a fine player, but I'm just I don't know. I think that there's just some concerns there and for them to give up on him so early, I get that they're kind of in win now mode, but still, um, he was a big, big part of that draft and they could have had LaMelo ball instead. So I would just be surprised if they did that being the number two overall pick, but Moses Moody, obviously, you know how I feel about that guy. So I'd be happy to have him here next to Duarte. Imagine those two together. That'd be just fun if they could become something, but at the same time, you're still not really breaking the core up and entirely too much. If all you get rid of is Sabonis too. So um, those guys would have to earn their minutes, I guess. I don't even know if they would, but that's, uh, that's where I stand with it. But, yeah, if you're a Pacer fan, you would have to uh, hope the Pacers would run away and, and, and hit the accept button as soon as this trade is offered. But um, let's move on to our next question, slash trade ideas. This comes from Aaron M. on Twitter. He said, do you think the Pacers will ever rebuild, or will they continue to just do tweaks for the roster the rest of my existence? Also, I'm finding it very difficult to come up with many trades given the shortage of a middle-tier contract, ten to twelve million dollars range. Show. Let's talk about that first question, Fachi. Do you think the Pacers will ever rebuild, or will they continue to just do tweaks to the roster for the rest of his his existence?
3: This is the closest I've ever felt to the Pacers doing like a rebuild. Like they were forced to rebuild after the brawl. You know when they brought in, you know. uh, Mike Dunleavy, you know, Murphy, uh, Troy I Murphy, I yeah, exactly. Like they had to make that trade. They had to get Steven Jackson, you know, Ron Artest, Al Harrington, all those guys out of there, even though Al Harrington wasn't in the wrong, you know, they had to make a move. Anyway, I feel like this is the closest they've been to rebuilding. However, given the fact of what they're paying Carlisle and the fact that it's like the front office probably wouldn't be around for a rebuild makes me feel like, oh, you know, they might try and make like a small – small trade first and then see where it goes. But uh I think it's hard to deny a rebuild at this point because you got guys in Chris Duarte and Isaiah Jackson that, that have something. They really do. But at this point, the double big lineup and all that, I, I do and TJ Warren, you know, going to be a free agent, uh Karis Levert and, and Miles Turner are going to be a free agent after next year. You're you're at a deadline here. And, and the Pacers don't have a two-year window to win at it all. It's like it's it's, I mean, a rebuild feels like it's gotta be coming. It might not be this year, but I do think it's probably the following year.
2: Yeah. So my my fallback answer is as long as Herb Simon's alive, they're not going to fully embrace a, a complete rebuild. It might be a minor one, but it won't be a complete and total rebuild, something like we're seeing from OKC or Houston, that kind of thing. But if you if you look at what Bob Kravitz, he's been around Indiana for a long time covering this, uh the sports town, not just the Pacers, but the Coles and other various teams. He said that he, he tweeted out basically something about Herb might be okay signing off on a rebuild. I don't think he was like giving out any like statement from Herb or anything like that, but just speculating like, okay, I don't think he'd be opposed to, to breaking this thing up. But with that being said, I just, it's just hard for me to sit here and think, Oh, with, like you said, with all the reasons why Fuch that you brought up, why that they would just, completely tear it down. Um, it makes more sense to me from a logic standpoint to make a few moves that shake up the core of the team, but doesn't completely rebuild the whole entire thing up from the ground, uh, from the ground up. So that's where I'm at with that. I, I just, you know, it's just hard with this Pacers team to see them embrace a rebuild because they've never done it ever in their existence. So I would, I would say that it's probably the latter um, in, in terms of just tweaks for the rest of your existence, but Moving on here into the trade stuff, he did throw out two trade ideas. Number one was the proposed trade that we just talked about of Sabonis for Kamingo Wiseman and Moody. And then number two was Turner and a 2020 second round pick for Marvin Bagley the third and Davion Mitchell.
3: All right. So we already addressed the first trade, so, you know, no need to rehash that. But Turner and a 2022 second round pick for Bagley and Davion Mitchell, like, uh, I don't know if that's it because – like I mentioned, Bagley is going to need a new contract. I do think that he needs a, a fresh start. I don't know what you'd pay Bagley, but I, I don't know. I, I I think there could be better offers out there than this.
2: What are your yeah. thoughts? Yeah, I think so too. I mean, I like the idea of Davion Mitchell. I like I the idea of Marvin Bagley, but do you think that Miles Turner is like the only thing you get? Yeah. I mean, is that the what you have to give up to get those two? Maybe maybe with Davion Mitchell. I mean, Davion Mitchell is a point guard that's defensive-minded. Not a great three-point shooter, right? I don't know what he's shooting this year, but a lot of people felt like his numbers um, last year at Baylor were flawed. I haven't looked into his statistics, so I apologize for that. But, you know, Davion Mitchell is a guy that I know a lot of Pacer fans were kind of intrigued by. Not all the guys that are right for the team were intrigued by him. But Marvin Bagley third. I mean, that's just a guy that could use a fresh start. I kind of get the idea of going after for somebody like that um, but Turner and Sacramento, I like that fit for Turner. Yeah, it's just like for the Pacers, I don't think it really moves a needle too, too much. It's kind of just like a let's swap players for players to exactly. break up the double bigs.
3: Exactly. Davion Mitchell shooting 28% for yeah. three on the year. I feel like this is exactly what you mentioned of what uh, Pritchard said. He doesn't want to do is make a trade just to make a trade. I feel like this is basically just saying, hey, let's get rid of one big, bring in another one, and, you know, let's take it from there. I mean, Bagley, once you, once you give him a contract, you know, you got to imagine it's it's you know, Moss turns at roughly 18. You got to imagine Bagley's getting at least over 10, uh, and that's just him coming off of a, a miserable year because Sacramento really wasn't playing him. But Davion Mitchell, I don't think is really someone that you're going to start to build around. I know the Pacers would still have plenty of other players that they can do that, but I, I don't know. I just for me doesn't move the needle enough.
2: Yeah, I agree. So let's move on to question number three. This comes from Jacob. I believe he. Uh, um, I, I'm not. I haven't listened to Born Ready to Pod in a minute, but I know that he is a part of that that group there. So Born Ready to Pods. Jacob said, "Can we all finally agree that it's time to trade Kevin Pritchard for the right to hire a new decision maker? He's won nothing. We have regressed, and although some keep wanting to run it back with injury-prone players, it was clearly the wrong move."
3: Look, I got I got a lot of respect for Kevin Pritchard. Uh, you know, I think he's made some. Some crafty deals, bringing in T.J. Warren for, for cash and, and and even getting the 32nd overall draft pick. I mean, the the dealing with Paul George wanting out and bringing in Sabonis and Oladipo was an absolute home run. But when you look at where the team has has performed, how they have, it, it hasn't worked out. Pacers haven't been able to get out of the first round, uh, barely even really been able to win some playoff games. I mean, there was a couple sweeps in there. So I, I do think that the way this season finishes out, I mean – I don't think you're going to keep Pritchard along for a rebuild. We've talked about it on here. I feel like the ownership has a great deal of respect for Pritchard where he would step down before he would be fired. And obviously we can't trade him. So I think that answers that.
2: Yeah, I think Kevin Pritchard would be the first president of basketball operations fired since the Pacers have been in the NBA. Herb Simon's just not a guy that does that. He's all about trust and knowing who's in there. Everybody that has had a position – I believe as president has stepped down at, at one point. So, um, like Donnie Walsh and Larry Bird. So those are the guys that have basically ran the team for a long time. So Pritchard's been here for what year five now, it feels like. So I believe it's year five, I'm if I'm not mistaken. But with that being said, you know, I get it. Kevin Pritchard has uh, failed to really improve this team over the last couple of seasons. I was really excited about them breaking up the double big and going out and trying to get Gordon Hayward. Not everybody loved that idea, but I was a fan of it, and when that deal did not go through, I was like telling Fachi off air and telling the people off air, like, I'm just not even really excited to watch this season under Nate Orkran because I just feel like it's not going to really make that much of a difference, and quite frankly, I was kind of right, and then coming into this year, I was a little bit more hopeful because of Rick Carlisle and maybe figuring out a way he could do some things and maybe be a little bit more Bold and and take some bigger risk with this roster, but he really hasn't. You know, I, I thought they might make some more trades. I thought, hey, they might really stagger the bigs quite a bit and hardly play them together and try to play more modern. And that's not been the case. And it's not even the bigs' fault that we've been. It's not the the way we are this year. I think a lot of it comes down to guard play and not having actual wings on this team. You know, got a lot of shooting guards, got some point guards, and you got some centers, and that's about it. No no true wings other than T.J. Warren and probably Shaber set and O'Shea set has been buried for quite a while this season and uh, just a little bit of an inconsistent player. So, you know, the most important position right now is the the wing position, really, in my opinion. And um, TJ Warren, that's a guy that um, really does make or break this team when he's healthy, but right now is breaking it because he's not healthy. So for me, um, Kevin Pritchard, he's he's been okay. He, you know what I mean? But at the same time, I mean – it, it's not just his fault this team's bad. I think the way Carlisle's ran some of the stuff this year, it's his fault too. The players have to be accountable. The players have to be better than what they've been. It, to me, it seems like the players are just kind of done with each other as well in, in terms of just the constant losing. the the They're just kind of stagnant, Foch. You know what I mean? Like they They're just going through the motions, that kind of thing. So for me personally, like, yeah, it's on Kevin Pritchard, but it's on everyone else too. It's not just Pritchard's fault that the team sucks, Um, but he's the guy making the decision. So he's the one that should be held to, uh, you know, be at blame the most. And if he decides to step down and move on, um, I don't think it'd be the worst thing for the team.
3: No, it wouldn't. I mean, like I said, I mean, he made some some good moves a couple of years ago, but the the way that everything has, has played out, it, it we we couldn't move forward from there. we just couldn't and the yeah. Pacers like you mentioned they got stuck in the mud that is the perception of us all of my friends you know look at the Pacers as yeah you guys have like consistently made the playoffs for the last 30 years but you know but cares you haven't won the big one and it's like I get it I mean and the Pacers yeah they made it to the finals in 2000 it's it's almost 2022 so I mean that's that's not enough you know there's there's plenty of teams we've we've seen rebuilds. I mean, obviously it comes with striking the right player and getting that. But if you're not picking you know high enough, then you just you can't get that player. And we've we've tried to make trades by you know, like I mentioned, maneuvering the deal for Warren, the deal for Oladipo, Sabonis there. But we got to as high as we could because expectations were when we traded Paul George, we would enter a rebuild, and yeah. it never happened.
2: Yeah, I mean, honestly, just thinking about things overall here, it's just like, I'm not even asking them to be a finals contending team, like whatever. I mean that right now, that just seems so unrealistic with this roster, but this team can't even win a playoff series, let alone possibly get into the play in game. So that is where the frustration sits. You know, you you talk about, you know, they want to be a tough out and that's just like annoying words to hear, but they, they might not even be able to get into a position to be a tough out, which is just another disappointment. So like, I don't care if they're not in the NBA Finals, but just please, I would love to get back to those days when we played the Miami Heat and we're competing at least in the Eastern Conference Finals. Like, that's the kind of roster I want to see assembled. A lot easier said than done. But what I'm saying is they've got to strive for that and not strive for this, hey, you know, we took the Heat to seven games in round one. We're, we're a tough out. Like, no, I don't want to hear that anymore. Fans are done with it. So that's this is where we sit. But let's move on, Fachi. Question number four comes from Pacers number one here on Reddit. He said, why don't they sell O'Shea set jerseys at the Pro Store? I went to buy one and said I'd have to buy online. Um, I, I feel like this is a little bit of a troll question, just being silly. But with that being said, um, I have no idea why the team store is not selling O'Shea percent jerseys. Kind of makes zero sense to me because I saw a lot of other jerseys in there as well. But maybe he's just not worth printing a bunch of them off just to sell if they're not going to sell that many.
3: Yeah, I imagine it, you know, it's, you know, it sounds rough to say, but he's probably just not marketable enough for them to, you know, like you mentioned, produce a ton that they could get stuck with, especially when it's, it's a one-year deal. I mean – I, I don't. I doubt that the, the the store went to the front office and said, "Hey, what's the deal? Are you going to guarantee that contract or not this year?" But <laughs> you know, it's just one of those where they probably don't want to get stuck with a ton of them. And uh, you know, online at least you can you can order it, and then they could probably create it for you, and it might take a couple weeks, something like that.
2: Yeah. So anyway, let's move on. Question number five comes from Kuma Thirty One on Instagram. He said, "Is T.J. McConnell a backup point guard or?" a 10-minute a pump some energy into the lineup and get out kind of guard. This lineup needs changes, but I can't see making major moves and having McConnell as the backup point guard for the next three and a half years.
3: What do you think? Like, obviously, he's a backup point guard. I mean, look, like McConnell, I'm pretty sure he had the most assists off the bench last year or most assists per game off the bench. Uh, you know, he had the most steals off the bench and second overall in steals last year. But this year under Carlisle's system where they really want everybody being capable to shoot threes. He's been exposed. He has been exposed. And I feel like we also haven't been able to get the same tenacity on defense, maybe as last year. I mean, everyone thinks of like the 10 steal triple double game. I mean, he hasn't had as many steals in the backcourt and maybe teams are just more aware of like, Hey, you know, you got to anticipate him in that backcourt, but also, you know, when you mentioned, you know, to, to be here for the next you know three years or so, I can't envision TJ McConnell being here for three more years at this point. I just feel like he he does have value on other teams, and I think that that's someone that eventually will probably be moved. Um, you know, I don't think it's going to be this year, but I, I don't think that he finishes this this contract in a pacer uniform. Yeah, I it, sometimes it does feel like TJ is the pump some energy into the lineup kind of guy.
2: I I, I think he's a little bit of both, to be honest with you, when it comes yeah, to this question, watch because they just need someone to give that energy and he's the only guy that really seems to do it there's games where he does look really good you know moving the basketball playing with that energy playing defensively getting in the gap stealing the ball but but too often he's not being utilized correctly to to magnify his skill set and it doesn't always seem like he fits well enough with some of the other guys on the roster and, and how they play so You know, if he doesn't have the ball in his hands and he's sitting over in the corner, then you're playing five on four on offense. And then defensively, he's pretty small. I've talked about him a little bit on the podcast over the last couple of weeks, and I just feel like backup point guard, he's fine. He does really good things like, you know, getting the offense set up, playing with pace and bringing that energy. But at the same time, he does lack some of the important skill sets that you need from your backup point guard. And that's the ability to shoot the ball, play off ball, play with your starters a little bit because... You're paying him seven and a half million, right? So it's a it's a decent amount of money. I don't believe they can actually trade him this year until after the deadline, um, just because of the way his salary cap, um, his way his salary was structured because of the twenty percent raises and increase and, and that kind of thing. So he definitely can't be traded until the fifteenth because that's when all the trades can be, you know, had. Knowing that's when guys that were signed in the off can be traded again. But at the same time, I was looking it up today, and I think I saw it could be incorrect, and I'll correct it on the next episode if I'm wrong. But I believe I saw where he can't be traded until, like, March because of all the like the raises and the taxes and all that kind of stuff. But the deadline's before that. So, like you said, Foch, I don't know if he gets traded this year or not, but definitely could see him getting traded in the offseason um, just, just because, like, it's a lot of money to pay a backup point guard, especially one with as many inefficiencies that he has. And you talked about last year, how he was so great last year. Well, we got to remember, he was on a contract year, Fachi. Yeah. And now he's not, and he's playing with a new system. I think it's a little bit of both when it comes to why he might have had a better season last year than this year.
3: I mean, it's definitely possible. I, I, I don't think that, you know, it's like, it's not that McConnell's not giving us all he's got. I just think that he has limitations. Like, yeah. we, we talked about it, and when it came to, are we going to re-sign McConnell or not? I said it, I believe you said it, it was like, can McConnell really take it up a notch after this? Like he had a year last year that was like, man, this is as good as it gets. I mean, this guy is, he's limited. I mean, not a good shooter, not tall, you know, he's, he's not, I mean, he's got his limitations. And I feel like last year was as good of a year as TJ McConnell possibly could have had. And that it was going to be a rough move, you know, bringing him back and expecting more with that pay raise.
2: Yeah, I mean, I know they couldn't afford McDermott, but I think if you watch this team, they could definitely use McDermott much more than they could use TJ McConnell in terms of what skill set they bring to the table. And I know not everybody loved Doug, but Doug, man, he moves so well through the basketball and he could shoot lights out. And that's just something that I think Carlisle, who already had him for a little bit in Dallas, would have really utilized. And he'd be out there on the floor a lot more closing games just because of his ability to, to move without the basketball and shoot threes. But let's move on. Question number six comes from Dan Haynes on Twitter. He said, I like the idea of the Pacers trading for a more dynamic point guard. In your opinion, which of these three would be the best fit? De'Aaron Fox, DeJounte Murray, or Ben Simmons?
3: Um, Hey, I don't want to be the cheap guy, but Murray's contract is very appealing. It's, It's at about $18 million per year compared to Simmons, which is like, you know, 32, 33 million per year. Uh, Jaron Fox, I, I believe, is another hefty one. Could be, you know, roughly 30 million or, or at least, you know, I know it's over 25 million per year. Um, Murray is the one that, I mean, this is a guy that was a former all defensive, you know, pick a few years ago. I know that he's, I think he's averaging like 20 points per game, over eight rebounds, over eight assists per game. I mean, there's a lot of things he does well. He's still young. I feel like I like me some DeJounte Murray. Um, because Ben Simmons, look, you still don't know what you're going to get. I know he has superstar potential, but I feel like Murray's showing that. And I also feel like De'Aaron Fox is a franchise player for the Kings that they're probably not going to give up unless it's a major, major haul. So maybe give me some Murray. So is he the best fit, you think, out of the three? Because that was what the question was. Best fit? I mean, could be. He could. Okay. I mean, he's he's an all-right three-point shooter, but you look at this group, None of them are good three-point shooters. Fox is, right. is not a good three-point shooter. Ben Simmons can't or doesn't shoot threes. Murray, I believe, is like a 34% three-point shooter. It's not great, but he's capable.
2: Yeah, that's a, this is a tough question. I think Ben Simmons is the most talented of the three. Yeah. When, when you're coming out an angle of looking at full potential, who can be the best player? I think Ben Simmons is a guy, so he would be my best fit if you're, if you're just looking at overall talent because this is what this team needs the most. And don't know what you have to get up to get him, but it probably does include one of Domas or Miles and Levert. So I think that's kind of the move you're looking at if you get Ben Simmons. Same for the De'Aaron Fox move. DeJounte, like I said, be much easier to get money-wise, but at the same time, I don't see why San Antonio would want to get rid of him either. So, you know, I think Ben Simmons is the most available of the three. Ben Simmons is probably the best player of the three. And if I'm the Pacers, I really don't care at this point, um, you know, who I have to give up or what I'm doing because I just got to get better. And you you deal with the the, the the crap, I guess, that comes along with Ben Simmons in terms of the inability to shoot the ball, the off-court stuff, the not wanting to be in Philly. Like You just hope that maybe he's refreshed, he's rejuvenated by going to a new team and, and doing that. But let's move on. One more question before we take a quick break. And this comes from Taylor for MVP on Twitter. He said, Alex, I don't know how you feel about this idea, but I think it's time to take up OKC strategy and start trading, rebuilding the team, and stock as many draft picks as we can. It's just so hard for small market teams to compete these days.
3: I don't think the Pacers are ever going to do that. I understand where you're coming from. And, like, that's the kind of way where you could sell yourself on, look, it's going to be miserable, but here's the thing. Like, OKC, you know their fans are like, man, just give it a couple years. We have the chance to have some of the most talent in the world. We'll see how it works out. Um, But I don't see the Pacers ever, like, officially – like 100% clearing house and really not having like almost any like notable player that can put butts in seats. Because if if you think it's bad now, I mean the Patriots could be on the verge of setting records for low attendance if they do that.
2: Yeah. I mean, with OKC, you have to remember one thing. They were in the lottery like three to four years in a row. They got Kevin Durant, Russell Westbrook, James Harden. Then they got Serge Ibaka. (laughs) And, uh Steven Adams. And then a couple of years later, they get DeMonte Savona. So it's like they've done a really good job of drafting. And if you're looking at this Pacers resume, you know, Fachi tried to pull it off the other day and say that we've done good in the lottery, but it's pretty hit or miss for the Pacers in the lottery. If you look at the entire history of the franchise's drafting, so I think I trust OKC and Sam Presti a little bit more with their with their taste in players, their evaluation of players than I do the Pacers. So I would embrace a rebuild. I would actually be okay with this if they just like came out and said this is the direction we're heading. We know we got to get a franchise player in here to really be competitive at the top level. I would suffer through a couple of years, three or four years of that, if it meant that we'd get really good, you know, good picks and hopefully hit on them. But at the same time, you know, it just it seems so unrealistic knowing who it, the Pacers are. Exactly. And, and that's why it's a tough question here, you know. But Personally, for me, I would love to just kind of go about that way. But at the same time, um, you know, I don't really like what OKC is doing either. I, I don't like the idea of just completely, just wasting seasons and 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 doing your best to, you know, make it make it a, a bad spot for players to go to because like nobody wants to get traded to OKC, no. and then the, and then all these players get bought out or they are they find different ways to get them out of there, and they treat their players well when they get them whatever. But still, like. No, like it's just there's a way you could probably go about doing it without it being so blatant.
3: Exactly. What OKC is doing is is like taking I feel like what taking um what the Sixers did in the trusted the process to the next level where it's like, I mean, I don't know when OKC plans on winning. They have way more draft picks than they can actually handle. Like at some point they have to make a big move. But, yeah, you're not attracting free agents unless it's guys that, you know, are probably getting a bit overpaid and and they're younger over there. But also, let's put it this way. They just lost by 73 points, an NBA record. I mean, it's guys, I I think you got to realize it would get real ugly before it got better. I mean, we talked about – Alex, you just said maybe, you know, three, four years. I mean, we haven't even been doing this podcast for four years. Could you imagine the whole (laughs) time going through, like, a dark rebuild Yes, eventually, that's how we can probably get to championship potential. Right now, we can't. We just can't. So something needs to be done, but I think there's a way to do it without actually trading every single good player on this team outside of Duarte and Isaiah Jackson.
2: All right, Fancho, let's go ahead and take a quick break. When we come back, we will finish up part one of our Mailbag podcast.
1: Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check.
2: All right, Fachi, we are back and we are on question number eight. This comes from Bubba T. Flubis from Reddit. He said, Does Fachi really think the organization is trying to build around Karis Lavert? Have we ever seen the Nets LeVert that they love so much? All right, I'll go let you go ahead and answer those two questions, Fachi.
3: I think they hoped that they could coming into this year. We heard how much that, that the patient, you know, the front office. Pritchard talked about LaVert. It really seemed like this is a guy that has massive potential. And, guys, I know it's quick to forget, but he was coming off of a career year with the Pacers. I mean, in the the games that he played, he was averaging nearly 21 points per game. He was hitting some big shots. This has not been the same guy from last year. LaVert has not been consistent enough. That back injury obviously has affected his play. And now I don't think that the Pacers front office probably still views him as a cornerstone. I I think it's still the, hey, let's hope he gets, you know, healthy. Uh, But he's a free agent after next year. And the Pacers, like I mentioned, they have that massive decision where a couple guys are going to be up. Their contracts are up between this year and next year. And LaVert at that point, I mean, it feels like little by little, things are starting to point in the direction of, Man, I really don't know if this guy is going to re-up with the Pacers, and it could be mutual.
2: Yeah, I mean, if I'm LaVert, I wouldn't really enjoy what I'm doing right now either. But, um, you know, it it appears that (laughs) LaVert is a guy that is going through some things. But at the same time, it's just like, man, uh, he's. uh, it seems like he's been more of a net negative than a net positive when he's been on the floor this year. And I I don't want to say that about LaVert because I was really excited when we got him. And I wanted to see him become that guy that could kind of be your closer. But right now, he's looking like a guy that you would be okay with trading. And uh, bad as that sounds, it's just, it's just part of it. But, okay, let's move on. This is a lengthy question. we got like five parts on this question here. So he said, what chances are there of starting next season without a single player over the age of 26 on this roster or at least an obvious youth movement to be successful three years from now?
3: Hmm. Uh, I mean, let's see. So right now, I mean, actually, that no one's above the age of 26. Yeah, probably pretty decently, actually, if if you look at it, because this team is like they don't have like old veterans. Like Justin Holiday is like I think he's like 31, but Jeremy Lamb is going to be gone. I guess McConnell McConnell probably gets flipped at some point. It's possible, but I feel like the Pacers are more likely to keep one of the bigs. Yeah. I don't see them really trading both bigs because at that point, then it's like you never really got to give one of them the full chance to see if he can, you know, stand alone. So I, I think that they'll have one of the bigs. Turner and Sabonis are, are both well, like 25 and 26. Yeah, I believe. Um, and then Levert's probably right around there. So they'll, they'll be someone on the team that's like, you know, 26, 27.
2: Yeah, Domas and Miles will turn 26 by the end of the season. I think yeah. Miles' birthday's in March and Domas's is in May. But, yeah, I think really with this one, I mean, you still have Malcolm Brogdon who just re-upped the Pacers, too, and T.J. Warren. You don't know if he'll be back or not, but there are some guys that are a little bit older than 26 on this roster. I, I think that you could see the Pacers maybe taking a slight change in direction towards a youth movement. But it would have to take for the, it would have to really be for this season to kind of finish out the way it has been uh played out so far but it, you know what are the Pacers now nine and 16 27 games in they still have at least two-thirds of the season left to play so they could flip it around they could get closer to 500 that could change the dynamic of what they do in the offseason whether you hate that or not it's just part of the part of the process but Right now, I would say that there's probably like a 2% chance that we get this big youth movement, but um, <laughs> I do think that changes will come. Changes will come. But but probably not at the, the youth movement level that we're hoping for here. So um, the question after that says, do you think the fan base would embrace a youth movement over the current laws, And do you think attendance at games boost with a youth movement? I will say, I think the fan base would embrace it but I also think that the fans would not attend games as much because they wouldn't want to spend money if they know that it's a complete youth movement.
3: There is no chance attendance goes up. I mean, I just think that it would be people being like, hey, I'm, I'm going to take the rest of this year off and I'm going to wait and see you know, how this team performs because you already got people that are basically saying like, uh, you know what, uh, this, this team stinks. You, you trade these guys, you, you got to understand, we're going to get worse for a while before we get better. And and I don't, I think that with this market, I honestly, I feel like it takes winning to, to draw. It really does. And, you know, sure. If you got like a couple of, you know, true studs, you know, maybe some more, some people would come that didn't before, but I don't think people are like, you know what, as long as both the bigs are on the roster, I'm not coming. You know, I, I think it's just, it would be worse for attendance. I think the Pacers they're already sitting in last uh, I think it would get pretty ugly. Um, it'll, it'll take a while.
2: Yeah. Let's move on. Question number nine. This comes from Colin Air on Reddit. He said, the Pacers severely lack a primary ball handler initiator at the point. Despite Malcolm being competent at the point, he is unable to set others up for success like a true point guard. If we are to make a midseason trade, which of these three would you most likely see and would you most like to see in a Pacers uniform? C.J. McCollum, Ben Simmons, or De'Aaron Fox? If that type of trade did happen, would Malcolm accept his role as an off guard, or would that become a bigger issue long term?
3: I honestly I feel like CJ McCollum would be a, a real good fit for this team. Depends what you have to trade to get him, but I feel like that's the guy who can get buckets when you need it. With this, this Pacers team, I've said they go cold at times. Like McCollum's an underrated bucket. I feel like him playing in, in Portland for so long, like you're not always featured on TV, they're playing on the West Coast, it's late night games. Ben Simmons, like, I, I just – it's such an unknown right now of, like, would he be happy here? Like, is he in great shape right now, like, ready to go? I, I really don't know. Darren Fox, I think, would be very fun also. You know, he'd be able to push it. Uh, I think that hes he would be good in Indiana. But C.J. McCollum, if you're looking to kind of, like, continue to win, I, I feel like McCollum would be a good fit for this team.
2: See, McCollum is 30 right now. He'll be 31 at the beginning of next season. Like you said, he does kind of live in that shadow of Dame Lillard out there in Portland. Not a not a big market, but a, people, a lot of people know about, about uh, McCollum. I think that the 76ers would like to get their hands on him and have been Simmons swap more than likely just because of his ability to shoot the three ball and, and his mid-range game is pretty good. But defensively, he is so bad. And if we're talking about defensive being a problem here, and it depends on what you trade to get him, like... I'm just going to be honest with you. If you trade for McCollum, you probably have to give up Sabonis um, because I would not want to see Domas and McCollum out there together um, <laughs> defensively. It would just be really, really bad to watch. And I already think Malcolm is, you know, decent against certain players, but going up against point guards, like that's not going to be his forte. And that's kind of where he'd have to be at unless you start Duarte and you would have to figure out that whole dynamic too. So, you know, I think I would still pick Simmons here overall, just because of the age, just because of what he can do defensively. Um, But I do like Fox a lot. I just, I feel like Fox is just hard to read because we haven't really seen him with a playoff team yet.
3: And that's how I feel is yeah. like, man, good player, but someone has to be the star on the Kings. And I'm not saying that he's not good because he is very talented, but I, I wonder a bit. McCollum, I I feel like, would be good with the Pacers from an offensive standpoint. Of course, it's hard to get a a true two-way player like that, but that's a guy who would have been an all-star last year had he not gotten hurt. But here's the thing, Alex. When it comes to Ben Simmons, if the Pacers traded what it took to get Simmons, and at this point, I don't know exactly what it would take given that he very well might not play for the Sixers again. If he's not happy in Indiana, which there's a great chance that he's not, and he does not improve from an offensive standpoint, How long would it take the Pacers to recover? At that point, I I mean. What are they
2: giving up? I mean, there's not that much that I'm going to be hurting over that they give up unless I give, like, Duarte.
3: Well, yeah, but, I mean, it's not like the the Sixers are just going to trade Simmons just to, you know. In any trade, it's a given one of the bigs is getting traded. Right, right. You know, so I I don't know what it would take to get him, but, but it ain't going to be cheap. And his salary, I believe he's owed about $140 million. So the Pacers have never really paid anyone like that before. I mean, yeah. you know, they, they they do the $22 million deals, you know, with like Brogdon and Oladipo is right around 20. And, you know, you imagine. But, but none of them have the there.
2: ceiling of Ben Simmons. They, they, that's they, the thing.
3: Exactly. They, they don't. But I'm just saying if it doesn't work out, and that's always a risk. Well, I just don't know if the Pacers would ever recover. I think they would be. in. in oh, They'd in, recover. In a,
2: they'd be fine. It's a risky business. You got to make risk. If it doesn't work out, maybe you just talk to Ben Simmons privately. And just if he says it wasn't, doesn't want to be there, you work out a trade for him but you do it where it's not public like it is right now. You don't let coaches throw them under the bus and players, teammates throw them under the bus with with what they say. I think that if you give them a fresh start here, say, hey, play hard for us for two years, we'll get you to the team you want to go to. We've got to deal that way. That would be a better route to go than just, you know, completely like you're saying, like, fall apart. I don't think that that's going to be the case with Ben Simmons, but, you know, we could argue about this all day long. Um, In in terms of – going back to real quick to your McCollum stuff, like, if you want a guy to get you a bucket, McCollum out of these three is the only guy that I think can just, you can trust to get you a bucket at the end of a game. And if that's what you really want, then then go with McCollum and, and, and suffer the consequences of the defense and figuring that kind of stuff out. If you think your offense can be that much more dynamic, but yeah, I, I mean, I get why a lot of people like are hesitant for Ben Simmons and stuff like that, but I just feel like he's a defensive player. I think Carl, I would love that. You could play small ball five with him. He can push the pace. Like he just does so many good things that a lot of fans don't really understand because he's been paired with Joel Embiid. So it's like you're kind of holding him back a little bit when you have a guy like Embiid who hogs the paint, right, and um, is uh, is the number one focus. I think if Ben Simmons was the number one focus and he could play small ball five with him, that'd be more fun.
3: Hey, well, we'll, we'll never know until, uh, until he's finally moved and, you know, <laughs> I just think that if he got moved to the Pacers and he was disgruntled, making the salary that he's making and not improving from a shooting standpoint, I don't see a team touching him. I really don't, unless you're you're taking a a solid hit on that deal. Okay, remains to be seen. All right, Foxy.
2: question 10 comes from James Murphy here on Twitter. He said, I'd like to see the Pacers draft Jaden Ivey out of Purdue. His local ties would draw more fans to games. What are your thoughts on Jaden Ivey
3: out of Purdue? I mean, seems like a good player. I'm going to be honest; I have not watched him enough. I'm looking at his stats right now: averaging 16 points per game, shooting 52% from the field, 40% from three. Uh, he's a sophomore, obviously. You know, he's born and raised in Indiana, playing at Purdue. That could help attendance, but given that I have not physically watched him live in games, I don't want to comment on him and give any false information.
2: Yeah, and that's fair. I mean, I haven't watched a ton of game of him either. I'm an IU guy, so. Um, I, I haven't had a chance to watch too much Purdue, but Purdue is about to be the number one uh, team in the in the AP poll after their uh, big wins and with Duke losing. So congratulations to Purdue, and I think Jaden Ivy, from the highlights that I have seen, is a big wing. You know, just super athletic, good defender, kind of like gets his hands in lanes pretty good. So I need to watch more of them. We need to probably have some college guys come on and talk about him a little bit more, just because I think it would interest a lot of Pacer fans to, to see like where he could fall out in the draft and maybe get him in uh, if the Pacers are in the lottery like this is a guy that could could be nice to have on your roster. So um yeah I mean we need to do more scouting on Jaden Ivy for sure. But at the end of the day, Flatch, uh anytime you can get a local guy in here, you know it's uh, it does seem a little bit exciting. But you know I, I don't want to sell the local guy short just because it's like oh it's just a local guy. Everybody wants a local guy. Like
3: no if he's really good it could really help you out. Obviously, I mean, look, I'm not saying that that this guy is going to be Victor Oladipo, but obviously, I mean, that was massive when Oladipo, you know, went to IU, came to the Pacers, was the franchise guy. I mean, it was it was a fun time. But, uh, you know, it remains to be seen uh, with Ivy, and, uh, you know, let's let the season play out.
2: All right, let's move over to question 11. This comes from faithful listener Jordan S., he said, we all, know that we all know that the Pacers front office is waiting for T.J. Warren to return to see how the team will adjust, but if he doesn't turn the tides like they
3: want him to, will they finally blow it up this offseason? It's obviously a common theme with most of these questions. Will they blow it up or not? At this point, uh, I've, I've, I've lost faith in that T.J. Warren is our savior. I really have because it's a lot of weight to put on one man's shoulders. I mean, if he if he hasn't played basketball in basically about a year, we can't expect him to be the same guy as before. That's going to take time. And then I don't want to all of a sudden get to the point where we're being like, man, Warren stinks. You see, like he struggles in the field today. Like, it's natural that it's going to take time. So I, I think at this point, entering into free agency, it would be a, a massive risk to give TJ Warren a big deal. I, I think you probably got to lean towards them making some changes. Yeah.
2: I mean, I, I think there's two things that we have to, you know, come to, uh, terms here with when it comes to how the Pacers front office goes about doing things. One, they, they do need to see what this team looks like with TJ Warren, because, you know, imagine a lot of those games where McConnell's out there in the game or Keelan Martin, but it's TJ Warren instead. You probably feel a lot better about your chances of winning the game. So I think they do definitely need to get a chance to see that before they write this team off. Number two, though, Fauci, I really just think that Rick Carlisle is going to be more of a deciding factor in what they do with this team. Coming the offseason, because if Carlisle says, No, I think I found something here with TJ Warren with this group, let's keep it together. You know, let's make some minor moves, but let's not make any drastic moves because, you know, we got off to a rough start early. We were nine and 16, but we wrote that ship. We got things turned around. Like there's that possibility that could still happen. I don't think it will, but there's a possibility. And, and if Carlisle finds something with this group that he likes, that he can convince the front office of the Cube, I mean, they're paying him a lot of money and they trust what he's going to say. So, I think that's a bit of a factor in whether they blow it up or not this season. But at the same time, you have to realize the value of of these players. And with Turner and LeVert becoming expirings at the end of the season, you have to figure out if it's worth re-signing TJ Warren and bringing the rest of this team back together again, or if it's better off to try to trade somebody like LeVert and Turner in the offseason, when you know their contracts are expiring. I think that's a big thing we haven't talked about enough yet.
3: It really is. I mean, it really is. And it's just, it all, we're, we're stuck in limbo right now, really just stuck in the mud of, of the waiting game. And, you know, they've waited so long to, hey, can we get the starting five together? Guys, they're not going to make a change before that happens if, if that's only maybe a month away. I know we keep saying one month away, a couple of weeks, weeks, not months, you know, this, this, that. But at the same point, we're close enough where they're going to at least let it play out for however many games and then make a judgment.
2: Yeah. This next, let's move on to our next question. It's not really a question. It's more of a statement. This is from Christopher Lloyd on Twitter. He said, I keep Malcolm Brogdon, Miles Turner, Isaiah Jackson, and Chris Duarte. Everyone else is tradable. He did put in parentheses that he'd only keep Brogdon because we have to. There was a a tweet going around basically saying, what guys would you keep if you could, you know, keep two or keep three and everyone else had to go. So this is probably what Christopher Lloyd is referring to. So he said he would keep Turner, Isaiah Jackson, and Chris Duarte. I guess if that question was asked to you, Fachi, what would you say?
3: I, I'd keep Isaiah Jackson, Chris Duarte, and everyone would be on the table after that if for, for whatever trade. I know we can't trade Brogdon this year, but Alex, ask yourself this. If we could, do you think Malcolm Brogdon finishes this year in a pacer uniform? <laughs> I think I he's don't.
2: I really think that he would be a very enticing piece. And I think that might be what agree. they do in the offseason because Yep three years with brogdon on a contract uh, i can't he's a good, it. I'm no really? i'm just saying i'm saying as a complimentary player like a team i'd be enticed to go trade for him you know what i'm saying oh, of course good, good three-point shooter i mean he's been the best player at times for this team i get when he shoots the ball a ton of points or a ton of times we don't win a lot of games but that's because he has to because nobody else is hitting it feels like so you know that to me is a, a tough question Everyone I kept seeing was saying, Oh, I wouldn't trade Turner or Duarte, Turner or Duarte, Turner or, you know, Isaiah and Duarte. It's like, here's what I'll say. Um, if you're going kind of in a rebuild type of thing, Fudge, it makes zero sense to keep Turner or Sabonis on the roster.
3: I agree. They're on the table. They have give, to be.
2: Give them, give Goga those minutes. Give Isaiah Jackson those minutes. If you're going in a complete rebuild, Miles Turner doesn't want to be here for the next four years. If we're going to rebuild. You're wasting the prime of Miles Turner when you could allow him the, you really you you owe it to Miles to trade him to a team where he can actually do something. Like imagine him with Dallas with Luka Doncic, or maybe trading him out to Portland with Dame and CJ. Like finding a way to give them that opportunity to to use their talent and and, and shine. I mean, I haven't had thoughts about him with Golden State. How good he would be next to Draymond and Clay and Steph and that group and, and Andrew Wiggins. Like you know that's a that's an intriguing thing. And I think that the Pacers, if they were going to go into a rebuild. It would be smarter for them to move those guys than keep them here and make the team suffer through losing with those guys on the roster where they might get stats and stuff, but they're just not going to enjoy being on a mediocre team.
3: I agree. I mean, look, Duarte, Isaiah Jackson, those are the two guys that it's just like they're on such cheap deals. They're promising Keep those guys. Don't do anything crazy. I think if the Pacers found some deal where they threw Chris Duarte in it and it was not an absolute grand slam deal, everybody would lose trust in the front office and say, what are we doing? Why are we pushing forward? So those guys got to be off the table. Everybody else, come on. We don't have a true star on this team, so they have to be on the table. Brogdon is, uh, you know, wait until he's eligible to be moved and then we'll have conversations type of guy.
2: All right, let's move on to our next question. Dalton James Chubb said, how many losses do you think till the front office makes a change? I don't want to sound like a bandwagon fan. Uh, Believe me, I've watched every single game under Jim (laughs) O'Brien. I'm just frustrated.
3: I would just say, first off, I love the fact that everybody is like, hey, man, I've seen some stuff. All right, the Jim (laughs) O'Brien years, it aged me. And I completely agree with you there, uh, Dalton. So uh, I'm with you on that. That was a miserable time. But I don't think that there is like a specific number, but I think that we're looking at a team right now that's seven games below five hundred. We hoped without Warren they'd be able to tread around five hundred, maybe like two games below five hundred, maybe three, whatever it is. If the Pacers continue to lose, then then there is no man that can really save this team uh, at that point. I think you're looking at the deadline, you're looking at the trade deadline to say, hey, what can we do to bring in some assets? And I think that that's what we're looking at. I don't think they're going to make a move until the trade deadline.
2: Yeah, I, I would say I think they start looking at making some serious roster changes when they get close to ten games below 500 or more.
3: Not that um, far off,
2: I know, but I'm just saying when you see double digits, like if you look at this team and we're nine and 19, you really got to start questioning yourself. And then if it gets like to nine and twenty, nine twenty one, you're sitting there 12 games under 500. That's when you really have to start considering. Like I know fans are ready to do it now. The, the fans are ready to do it at a 500 record, right? But as a front office, like if you're trying to win games and you see the standings, like you know, what are they four games out of the, the tenth seed right now? So I mean they're still within reaching distance, but if they continue to tread backwards and go that way, they're gonna have to move on. But let's move on, Fachi. We got two more questions here to round up part one, and they're not really questions, they're just statements. So I'll read them real quick and you can comment on them. Both from Reddit. The first one is I am at the poke stop. He said, Standing in the shower makes it so my wife can't see my tears when I think about this team. And King Booty the third said, trade Levert. So anything you want to add to those.
3: I mean, hey, I don't blame you for not wanting your wife to see you in a moment of, uh, you know, true emotion pouring out because I, I've been there. I mean, we, we ate breakfast today with some friends, and I actually said this statement. Now, it's I got laughed at at the table. I had two friends there and babe. I said, the Pacers aren't a bad team. We just have a bad record. And everybody cracked up, and I went, wow, I can't believe I just said that. And it's like, we're, we're, we're trying to sell ourselves on something that just isn't there. So oh, I don't blame you. And King Booty, the Third, great name. Uh, Trey LaVert, I mean, at this point, if he can play up his value, then I can't say that we have to keep him.
2: Yeah, uh, crying in the shower is a great place to cry. So uh, keep that up. And I would say in terms of Trey LaVert, I think I am on board with that train. He is probably one of the guys I'd most like to see go um, out of that starting five. I just, too many flaws with his game, too many injuries to his career, wish him nothing but the best but just don't feel like he's the right fit so that wraps up part one for our mailbag we're going to take a uh, moment here to uh, end this recording and you guys can check out part two on the next episode which is already uploaded so go check that out